welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you the wrestling highlights from Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Impact Wrestling, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. This is the following week of the conclusion for the draft. Monday Night Raw was the last day of the draft, and again, these draft picks do not go into uh, final standardized until the day after the Saudi Arabia show Crown Jewel on October the 22nd. That is the day that the draft picks will all be finalized. Until then, all the draft picks, the shows that they were on previously before they were drafted, they are still on that show until October 22nd. And also, Friday Night SmackDown had the King of the Ring and also the Queen of the Ring, the beginning of those uh, tournaments. So this week, I'll be talking to you about that. But before I get to it, Let's start off with the show. Let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw opened up with a Becky Lynch uh, promo, and Becky Lynch announced that she has been drafted to Monday Night Raw, which wasn't formally announced yet, but later in the event, it was announced. Um, she also mentions that she never technically lost the Raw Women's Championship. She mentioned how she had to give it up last year because she found out she was pregnant, so she couldn't technically wrestle and uh, be pregnant at the same time, so one had to go, and you saw which one had to go the Raw Women's Championship. She also mentions that she's technically never lost it, so she's technically, she thinks that she's still a Raw Women's Champion at the moment. Uh, Becky also mentions that Charlotte hasn't been the same since Becky beat her at WrestleMania in 2019. But ever since Charlotte beat Becky the last time that Charlotte was able to beat her, Becky has been able to be on the highest of highs, meaning that when Charlotte beat Becky, the last time that Charlotte did do it, Becky turned that into motivation and went all the way to the top. While Charlotte, on the hand, that lost at WrestleMania 35, she took that and went all the way to the bottom in Becky's eyes. As soon as she mentions this, Becky then says, maybe it's time for her to be Becky two belts yet again. Then you get Charlotte Flair coming out. She said that Becky didn't make Charlotte famous. Charlotte made Becky famous. She mentions how Becky always looked up to her down in NXT and also up on the main roster, and that how Becky was basically a nobody until Charlotte got into her atmosphere or her orbit. Uh, Charlotte mentions how she also has unfinished business with Becky, but then out comes Bianca Belair. Bianca mentions how she has unfinished business with both of them. Becky being, uh, Becky held onto her pony, her uh, braid, at the end of SmackDown last week, which made Bianca lose in her match against Sasha. And Charlotte Flair coming out after that match and big booting Bianca Belair into in her face. Um, this leads to a bickering contest between all three women. And this basically leads to Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville coming out and announcing that in the main event of Raw, it will be Bianca Belair versus Charlotte for the first time on Monday Night Raw. Which in Adam Pearce's promo, he says their first time ever meeting, but... I had to clarify that up on Twitter, and I kind of clarified it up on Google. And somebody put in the comments that they mentioned how they had to quickly say first time on Raw because obviously they didn't know that people would say that this isn't their first time meeting up because Bianca did go against Charlotte on NXT in 20... Nope, 2020 last year. So, yeah. Um, after this, now it's time for the first round draft picks. Raw gets Bobby Lashley and Becky Lynch, while SmackDown gets The Usos and Sasha Banks. After this, we get the United States Championship match. Jeff Hardy going against Damian Priest for the United States Championship. Damian Priest retains the championship by pinfall. 
This happens when Jeff Hardy hits the Swanton Bomb and pins Damian Priest, but Damian Priest kicks out at the count of two, and Damian quickly counters that pin into another pin, and Damian Priest gets the win off of that. After the match, Damian Priest picks up Jeff Hardy, he hugs him, gives him respect to each other, Damian leaves the ring. Jeff Hardy now has an in-ring promo. He mentioned that he's been at the tops of the tops in WWE, and he's also been hit back to reality whenever he has been at the low of the lows. He mentioned that he will be now going to SmackDown, so you might see a different version of Jeff Hardy, maybe even a different uh, character, a different alter ego of Jeff Hardy. Then out comes Austin Theory, who on SmackDown was drafted over to Monday Night Raw because he's from NXT. Austin Theory comes down, and he mentions how Jeff Hardy was a big inspiration for him to become a professional wrestler, and he can't believe that he's here meeting his idol, and he wants a photo with Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy obliges, gives him the photo, and as soon as they take this selfie, Austin Theory attacks Jeff Hardy and lays him out. And then he ends up taking another selfie with Jeff Hardy, but this time Jeff Hardy's on the ground in anguish, and Austin Theory is just smiling, just being a fanboy at this moment. After this, we get a backstage interview with RK Bro. They get informed that they will be defending the tag team titles against AJ Styles and almost at Crown Jewel. Riddle happens to annoy Randy this whole entire interview. And then once Riddle is about done talking, Randy asks Riddle, is he done? Riddle says yes. Randy says that at Crown Jewel, they're going to beat AJ Styles and Omos. And then Randy looks directly into the camera and says that he is challenging Omos to a match later tonight. And then Riddle is just looking surprised because Omos is a tall giant of a man. After this, we get a second round draft pick time. Raw selects Seth Rollins and the United States champion Damian Priest, while SmackDown selects the Intercontinental Champion Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs in one draft pick. And their second draft pick was Sheamus. After this, we get another in-ring competition. Shayna Baszler going against Deon, uh, Dana Brooke. Shayna does beat Dana Brooke by submission. And Shayna was able to do this when she puts Dana in the coquina clutch and made Dana basically tap out. After the match, however, Shayna does attack Dana Brooke's arms. And she's looking to break Dana Brooks' arm the same way that she did Eva Marie's and Nia Jax. But as soon as she puts Dana Brooks' arm on the steel steps, and she's about to stomp on it, Dewdrop comes out to the ringside and stops Shayna from doing this. Shayna happens to hit Dewdrop on her back as Shayna is walking to the ramp. And Dewdrop just happens to look at Shayna. And now you can tell that Shayna and Dewdrop have some unfinished business, but I'm not sure how that is going to uh, finish out because later in the night, you will see what I mean by that. Now we go backstage to the Usos and Paul Heyman. They're walking side by side. Paul Heyman is so happy that he got the job done, and the Usos are so happy to be still SmackDown Tag Team Champions and also still be on SmackDown with their cousin, the Tribal Chief. An interviewer happens to walk up on Paul Heyman, and he says, you must be happy that the Usos got drafted to stay with Roman on SmackDown. Paul says that he is not only the special counsel to the tribal chief, but he is the warden of the Uso penitentiary. The interviewer then asks Paul how he got Brock Lesnar to be a free agent. The Usos then turn that smiles into complete dis like a complete look of utter dismay on Paul and look like they wanted to hurt Paul at that moment. They just looked at him. And then he just walked away, and Paul just looked in fear, and he doesn't answer, and then that's all you get from this. 
And then we go back to in-ring competition of a tag team match of Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo going against the team of Mustafa Ali and Mansoor. Angel Garza and Humberto do win the match by pinfall. This happens when Mustafa Ali rolls up Angel Garza for the pin, but Angel happens to push Mustafa Ali into the bottom turnbuckle, and the referee happens to get in between Ali and Angel Garza whenever Ali is on the bottom turnbuckle, but Angel Garza wants to continue to attack uh, Ali, but the referee gets in between them. When this happens, however, Humberto happens to see this. He goes and grabs Ali's head and bashes it right onto the ring post. And then Andrew Garza quickly runs over to Ali, covers him, and gets the pin. After this, now it's time for the third round picks for the draft. Raw gets AJ Styles and Omos in one clean swoop. And Kevin Owens as well. SmackDown gets Shayna Baszler and Zia Lee. Now, after this, we get an in-ring promo from Big E, the WWE Champion. Big E mentions that for the second time in a row, the New Day has been separated. He talks about beating Bobby Lashley last week and still being the WWE Champion. And then Big E happens to call out Drew McIntyre because after Drew McIntyre came out and basically challenged Big E to a match, technically, quote-unquote, by just pointing at him with a sword, Big E wants to hear the words out of Drew McIntyre's mouth. Drew comes out. And he congratulates Big E like a man, the old-fashioned way, face-to-face, said on social media, for being the WWE champion. And that he's happy that he beat Bobby Lashley instead of basically Bobby holding on to that WWE championship for a longer period of time. And this now opens up Drew McIntyre to officially challenge Big E for the WWE championship. But as soon as he does this, the Dirty Dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, come out and talk to both Big E and uh, Drew McIntyre. Dolph tells Big E and Drew that he wants to thank you for both of them because Drew was on the outs with WWE in 2016 and Big E was a new upcomer in 2013 and both of them were the first guys whenever they first came onto the main roster that Dolph Ziggler put underneath his wing and brought up and kind of mentored in Dolph's view. So he wants to say Thank you from both of them. And he also has video uh, footage of Big E in his earlier in his career in 2013 and Drew McIntyre when he first came back to WWE on the main roster in 2018 to back up his claims and further proof of why Dolph does need this thank you from both of them. Ultimately, Big E and Drew do not apologize or do not uh, show their gratitude towards Dolph. However, they do challenge the Dirty Dogs to a tag team match right now and the Dirty Dogs do accept. So it was the Dirty Dogs go against Big E and Drew McIntyre. Big E and Drew do win this match by pinfall. This happens when Big E hits a big body block onto Dolph and then has him on his shoulder for the big ending. Drew happens to tag himself in, and before Big E can even hit the big ending, E drops uh, Dolph so Drew can hit the Claymore kick and cover Dolph for the win. After the match, Bobby Roode, or Robert Roode, Tries to run into the ring and attack Big E, but gets hit with a big ending. And then you get Drew McIntyre and Big E coming up face to face. And Big E officially makes the challenge for Crown Jewel for the WWE Championship between both men. And it was has been official. So at Crown Jewel, it will be Drew McIntyre challenging Big E for the WWE Championship. After this, we get a backstage segment of Reggie, the 24-7 champion, going up to Adam Pearce. Reggie tells Pierce that somebody told him that he wanted to talk to him about the draft. Pierce says that he didn't 
mention anything about this to anybody and tells Reggie that you must got pranked by somebody. Reggie immediately knows this is a setup and ultimately tries to walk out of this uh, backstage area. But he doesn't, and ultimately Drake Maverick, Jason Riker, Drew Gulak, and R-Truth are trying to get the 24-7 championship off of Reggie, but in the end, they do fail. Now we get back to ring, uh, in the ring, and Kevin Owens is walking down to the ring. He is going to cut an in-ring promo, but before he can say anything out of his mouth, Akira Tozawa comes down to the ring, and he says that he is here to challenge Reggie for the 24-7 championship, and Kevin Owens hits Akira Tozawa with a Stone Cold Stunner and leaves. Now it's time for the fourth round picks of the draft. Raw gets the Street Profits and Finn Balor, while SmackDown gets the Viking Raiders and Ricochet. After this draft picks, now it's time for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match between the team of Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. going against the team of Natalya and Tamina. Rhea and Nikki retain their championships. This happens when Nikki hits a crossbody off the top turnbuckle onto Natalya and Tamina, who are on the outside of the ring. Rhea Ripley happens to grab up Tamina, throw her into the ring, and hit her with a riptide, pin her, and hold up. Before she does pin her, though, Rhea puts Nikki on her shoulders and spikes Nikki on top of Tamina, then pins her to get the win. Now it's time for the fifth round draft picks of the night. Raw gets Karrion Cross and Alexa Bliss, while SmackDown gets Humberto Carrillo and Andrew Garza in one swoop, and they keep Cesaro. Now they go to a Goldberg in-ring promo, and Goldberg is out here to challenge Bobby Lashley for hurting his son at SummerSlam. Goldberg is still on that. Lashley comes out and tells him that what he did to his son at SummerSlam was an accident. But Lashley says that he will give Goldberg his match at Crown Jewels, but he wants to make it a no-holds-barred match. Goldberg thanks Lashley for making this match and tells him that he's going to be leaving Lashley gasping for air. Lashley then gets on, to, gets on the mic to try to distract Goldberg long enough that Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander attack Goldberg from behind. But the ambush quickly goes wrong when Goldberg was able to take control and beat down both of them and even hits a spear on Shelton Benjamin. Now we get a backstage interview with the newly drafted Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins has mentioned that he's happy to be back on Raw and he can't wait to party. The interviewer then asks Seth what about and before he can even say Edge's name, Seth stops him and says, Hold on, what are you doing? I'm trying to have a party here. I'm trying to be in a happy celebration. Why are you trying to bring me down, man? He says, I will handle that business on SmackDown. But tonight, I'm going to party. So after this interview, we get the tag team match of the New Day going against the Hurt Business. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods going against Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. The New Day do win this match by pinfall. This happens when Xavier Woods walks on the top walks the top rope, and hits an elbow drop off of it onto Cedric Alexander, covers him for the win, and that's it. As soon as Kofi, no, as soon as Xavier gets done pinning Cedric Alexander, he turns directly to the camera and starts yelling, King me, King me, crown me, crown me. He's mentioning this because King of the Ring is starting up on SmackDown, and Xavier Woods has been mentioning that he wanted to be the King of the Ring for years Starting in 2015, he's mentioned that he wanted to be the king of the ring if they ever do bring it back. So this is a good six years of him petitioning to be the king of the ring. So he's going to petition some more, yelling into the camera just to say, crown me. And I respect him, man. I got to respect the hustle. 
after the match, the Street Profits come out and they congratulate the New Day on winning their match and that the Street Profits are back on Monday Night Raw. After this, now it's time for Randy Orton and Riddle to come out and Randy mentions that he hasn't heard anything from Omos all this night. Randy then questions if Omos is AJ's uh, big old giant or is he AJ's female dog. AJ and Omos comes out and AJ says that Omos and AJ have been celebrating AJ's win over Riddle last week. AJ mentions that he can't wait to win back the Raw Tag Team Championships at Crown Jewel to shove it in the faces of Randy and Riddle. And this goes on for a little bit longer before AJ gets punched in the face by Randy Orton. And then a brawl ensues between all four men. But in the end, Randy does hit an RKO onto AJ Styles and leave AJ in the ring just rolling around. After this, we get the sixth and final draft picks of the night. For all, they get Carmella and the newly signed Gabriel Gabriel Stevenson. I'll say it again. Gable Stevenson, because I messed up his name. That is the man that won the Olympics. The gold in the Olympics for men, uh, collegiate, no, not collegiate, for men, uh, amateur wrestling. And uh, he just got signed to WWE, and I think he's still in college, so he'll be the first uh, college player, college uh, athlete that's in professional wrestling as well, but also will be in the wrestling uh, collegiate amateur, whatever, that will be still under that new rule that they have for NCAA athletes. While SmackDown, on the other hand, Got Ridge Holland and Sami Zayn. Now time for the main event of Monday Night Raw. Bianca Belair going against Charlotte Flair. But Becky Lynch was also on commentary for this match, so you know there had to be some hijinks at the end of this. Uh, This was a great main event. I mean, both Charlotte and Bianca had a great match. I mean, you got Charlotte Flair, who I got to admit is one of the great uh, female wrestlers that WWE have on their roster. I mean, just period. And Bianca, she is literally... One of the fastest rising uh, women wrestlers that they've literally had on their whole roster. I mean, Charlotte is a generational talent, so I expected her to have uh, great uh, genes in her since they've been pushing her for mad many years. But Bianca Belair, I mean, she's just a complete different type of professional wrestler. I mean, women professional wrestler. She can flip. She has the power. She has charisma. She has a lot of things. But anyway, Bianca, she's great. Bianca does win this match by disqualification when Bianca was about to hit Charlotte with the KOD, and she did hit her with it, and as Bianca was covering her for the pin, Becky Lynch gets off of the commentary table, runs closely to the ring, pulls Bianca out of the ring, and then throws Bianca into the steel steps. The referee sees this, calls for the bell. That's how Bianca won the match by disqualification. Becky then throws Bianca back into the ring and hits her with the Man Slam, or better known as the Rock Bottom. Then Becky's over the body of Bianca Belair, just taunting it, and then out of nowhere comes Sasha Banks. She comes running in and attacks Becky Lynch. She attacks Charlotte Flair, and she attacks uh, Bianca Belair. Sasha hits Becky with a backstabber, and Sasha is the last person standing on Monday Night Raw, so Raw ends with Sasha Banks standing over Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair, claiming that she is the best women's wrestler just on WWE. And that's the end of WWE Monday Night Raw. Now it's time for NXT. At the beginning of NXT, they announced that the original 
Scheduled program for the eight-man tag team match has now been turned to a fatal four-way tag team match for the NXT Tag Team Championships, which consists of the teams of Brooks and Jensen going against Grizzly Young Veteran, going against Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, and going against, finally, the NXT Tag Team Champions, MSK. But before any of that happens, which is the main event, the first match of the night is Mandy Rose with Toxic Attraction going against Ember Moon. Mandy wins this match by pinfall. This happens when she hits Ember Moon with a bicycle knee, or as people will like to call it on the internet, uh, V-Trigger, which this is not a V-Trigger, but I'll give it to him, whatever, to Ember Moon's face. And she wins the match clean. After this, they play a video of Legado del Fantasma. The main video, the main point of this video is that they tell Hit Row that they are lucky that SmackDown saved them from a beatdown that they suffered last week. And Santos basically challenges Swerve for the NXT North American Championship uh, next week. And we will get a response from Hit Row later in the night. After this, we get a match of LA Knight going against Odyssey Jones. LA Knight wins this match by pinfall. This happens when Odyssey has the upper hand on LA Knight. And before he's about to do another maneuver, Andre Chase gets on the ring apron and starts shouting at Odyssey. Odyssey happens to knock uh, Chase off the ropes and trash talk Chase, who's now on the ground in pain. LA Knight sees this. He comes behind Odyssey and hits him with a jumping neck breaker and covers him for the win. After this, we get a backstage interview with Cameron Grimes. He talks about there's love being in the air of NXT. He's talking about Index having their wedding and Cora J with her boyfriend, Trey Baxter. And Cameron Grimes makes it known that he's out here right now looking for a lucky lady to be with him. Then Pete Dunn and Rich Holland have to interrupt this love announcement. And Grimes doesn't pay attention to Pete Dunn at all. And Grimes is just staring off out looking into something. And Pete Dunn is making this whole big thing. And he's uh, talking to Grimes about Grimes not being the guy. Pete Dunn being the guy. Pete Dunn being the dangerous man on NXT. And Pete notices that Cameron Grimes isn't paying attention. So Pete ultimately challenges Grimes to a match later tonight. And Grimes says, sure. And starts walking off. Cameron follows Grimes, and Grimes happens to walk over to a group of ladies just standing at a uh, utility box, and he happens to just talk to the ladies, and this shows that Cameron Grimes is going to be uh, having a female valet or female manager or even a female love interest down the line. After this, we get another backstage segment, but this time it's Kyle Riley walking up to Von Wagner in the locker room. Kyle asks Von Wagner, why did he save him last week? Von says that he respects Kyle for dealing with Pete Dunne and Rich Holland. Von also mentioned that he doesn't like either of those men as well, so he did what he had to do to take care of them, and also that he trusts Kyle O'Reilly that if it was the other way around, Kyle would do the same thing. But as soon as uh, Von mentions trust, Kyle stops him, and Kyle mentions that after the year that he's had, that he had to went through, he doesn't feel like trusting anybody, and he tells Vaughn that he can handle his business himself and doesn't need anybody's help. Uh, then we go to an in-ring promo from our NXT champion, Tommaso Ciampa. He mentions that he's looking to wrestle someone on Halloween Havoc, which happens to be on uh, October 26th, NXT special edition of Halloween Havoc. 
and he's mentioning that he's looking for somebody to wrestle on that night for the NXT Championship, and he mentions one guy in particular, Braun Breaker. Braun Breaker comes out, and Braun announces that he wants a shot at the NXT Championship, and Tommaso basically obliges and accepts to it, so at Halloween Havoc, it will be Tommaso Ciampa going against Braun Breaker for the NXT Championship, and this is the fastest I've seen of a new, like, guy get a championship match or a championship opportunity, whatever you want to call it. And again, Braun Breaker has the wrestling pedigree. He is the son of Rick Steiner, and he has the, and his uncle is Scott Steiner. And boy, does Rick continue, or Braun, continue to sound like his uncle Scotty so much. So I just can't wait for him to just break out of this whole thing and just straight up just dominate and just throw people around like he looks that he could be able to do. Because Braun is a big dude. If you haven't looked at NXT, just look at Braun Breaker and you'll see what I mean. And then ask, and then look up on Google, the Steiner Brothers, and you'll see exactly what I'm meaning. He's as big as his uncle and his father. So for me to say that he's in the caliber that he can throw anybody around, that's the truth. Braun Breaker can really throw anybody around if he really wants to do it. Anyway, after this, we get an in-ring competition of Joe Gacy going against Ikaminyaro. Joe Gacy does win this match by pinfall. This happens when Gacy has a back handspring off the ropes and hits Juro with a clothesline from that back handspring. And covers him and gets the win after the match, though. Gacy picks up Euro and hugs him in the ring and leaves him there. This leaves Hickam and Euro and everybody just astonished that Joe Gacy is here to look for peace and he's trying to let everybody know that there's not needing for toxic energy around here, that this could be a safe space for everybody, that everybody can love each other, one another, without just being angry and just evil towards each other. As Joe Gacy was walking up to the back, he gets he stops and he looks at the crowd and then he mentions, well, not mentions, he sees one guy standing and he got a bald head and he got tattoos all on his arm. And this is a mysterious guy that's just staring down Joe Gacy. And Joe Gacy's having to just stare him down. And Joe Gacy makes a smile on his face. And that mysterious guy with a bald head is uh, NXT new signee, Parker. Uh, I can't say my man's name, but his name is Parker. And he had the, well, the rumors of being the next big uh, Brock Lesnar. So I can't wait to see it. I'm not going to hold him in that regard yet because Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar. There will never be another Brock Lesnar. But just to be put in that type of category with somebody like a Brock, uh, the sky's the limit for this kid. So I'll be waiting to see what he does. Now it's time for Cora Jade's NXT in-ring debut. It's Cora Jade going against a unknown person. But that doesn't happen because... The unknown person gets attacked by Frankie Monet. Frankie Monet attacks this unknown uh, female wrestler, and Frankie Monet ends up taking her spot. So now it's Cora Jade going against Frankie Monet with Robert Stone in her corner. Uh, during this match, however, Trey Baxter comes down to support his girlfriend, Cora Jade. So Cora Jade now has Trey Baxter in her corner. Cora beats Frankie Monet by pinfall. This happened when Frankie was about to hit the glam slam on Cora Jade, but Cora was able to count out of that and hit a roll-up on Frankie Monet, cover for the win, and that's it. Now we get a backstage interview with MSK. They say they are nervous because in a fatal four-way match, you don't have to be pinned to lose your championship. You don't have to be submitted 
to lose your championship. Somebody else just has to be pinned or submitted, and they are now the new NXT champions. Grizzly Young Veterans uh, interrupts them and say that MSK continues to duck, duck them every waking mat opportunity they get. And this is just their newest uh, stepping stone, newing roadblock that Grizzly Young Veterans have to go over just to even get a match of this caliber. MSK says, you know what? Fine, whatever. We'll turn this into an elimination style match. How about that? That's when Brooks and Briggs happen to walk in and attack Grizzly Young Veterans, and then Carmelo Hayes and Trick uh, happens to attack MSK, so now you got a brawl between all four tag teams in this backstage area. Then we go to another backstage uh, moment, but it's Tommaso Ciampa being interviewed. He's talking about facing Braun Breaker at Halloween Havoc, and he says that he can't wait to take Braun into deep end, but as soon as he says this, he gets interrupted by Joe Gacy. Gacy, Gacy mentions how Tommaso just basically gave a uh, open invitation to anybody willing to fight him at Halloween Havoc, and Gacy mentions how he wants to be included into that NXT title match at Halloween Havoc. So, Tommaso happens to make the deal with him. You know what? If you beat me next week, you'll get added to the match. How about that? Gacy shakes his head, and we got our match for next week. Tommaso Ciampa going against Joe Gacy. After this segment, we go to our in-ring competition. It is Pete Dunne with Rich Holland in his corner going against Cameron Grimes. Pete Dunne wins his match by pinfall. This happens when Kyle O'Reilly attack Rich Holland on the outside, and Pete Dunne goes on the outside to try to help Ridge with this whole Kyle O'Reilly problem. But Cameron Grimes attacks Pete Dunne from behind, and it throws Pete back into the ring. Once Cameron gets back in the ring, he runs towards Pete, and Pete happens to throw Cameron Grimes over his head, and Cameron lands on the top rope neck first. And Pete Dunne happens to grab Cameron and turns him around and hits the bitter end on him, covering him for the win. That's how Pete Dunne wins his match. After the match, however, Kyle O'Reilly gets in the ring and starts attacking Pete Dunne, but that doesn't uh, get too far because Rich Holling comes in and headbutts Kyle O'Reilly behind the head and then sets him up for the Emerald Fusion. And as he's holding him up, Pete Dunne comes in and hits an enziguri on Kyle O'Reilly's head and then Rich uh, happens to drop Kyle O'Reilly with the Emerald Fusion. Now we get a backstage uh, video from Hit Row. They mention how they're not running away from Legato Del Fantasma. They're running directly to the money, which is SmackDown, meaning they're going to get paid much more than they would be on NXT. And Swerve accepts Santos Escobar's challenge for the NXT North American Championship next week on NXT. After this, we get a match between Malik Blade going against the debuting Tony D'Angelo. Tony wins this match by pinfall, and this happens when Tony hits a belly-to-belly suplex on Malika, um, Malik Blade. Then Tony follows that up with a Northern Lights suplex, floats it over, and then hits a spinning Fisherman suplex on Blade to get the win. After this, we get an backstage interview with Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo mentions how he's having to finesse himself and Trick into getting this uh North not North American, but this NXT tag team championship match. And how Carmelo still has his uh NXT breakout tournament uh, reward, or as you would call it, uh his contract that he can face any 
championship on NXT, any champion for any championship on NXT, and he didn't even waste it on this, so he still has that in the tuck. And Carmelo says that he wouldn't, well, more than likely be the new NXT Tag Team Champion, he'll be a double champ soon, while Trick Williams will happen to be a future Tag Team Champion if they win tonight. Now we go back to in-ring competition. This is Ming Ying with Boa in her corner going against Indy Hartwell with Persia in her corner. Persia happens to be one of the bridesmaids at uh, Indy Hartwell's and Dexter Loomis's wedding and just happens to be Indy's best friend. Indy wins this match by pinfall. Uh, this happens when Indy was locked into the Tongan death grip by May. And May is holding this uh, submission hold in which made Indy Hartwell go outside of the ring to think that May will let go of the hold. No. May happens to go outside of the ring and still lock on to this uh, tongue and death grip. And as Indy was fading away, May puts Indy's head next to the ring post and she's running towards her to hit a big boot so Indy's head can smack the ring post. But when this happens, Persia happens to push Indy out of the way and take the big boot to the head. Indy quickly recovers and shoves May back into the ring. And no, not before she shoves her into the ring. She shoves her into the ring post. And then she shoves her into the ring. And then Indy gets on the ring apron. Has a springboard elbow drop onto the back of Mei Ying. Covers her for the win. There you go. Now it's time for another in-ring segment. But this time it's from Raquel Gonzalez. Raquel mentions how she has dominated the NXT Women's Division for close to a whole calendar year. Raquel then turns her uh, attention towards Toxic Attraction and mentions how Mandy wants to be the NXT Champion, but she's not on Raquel's level. When Raquel mentions this, out comes Toxic Attraction. Toxic Attraction's whole point is, is that she they mention now they're here in NXT to dominate and hold all the NXT Championship gold. They go and surround the ring and circle the ring. They then get on the apron, and now they're looking at Raquel Gonzalez because Raquel knows what's about to happen. Toxic Attraction is about to come in there and ambush Raquel. But that doesn't happen because Zoe Starks and Io Shirai, who are the NXT Women Tag Team Champions, come in there to save Raquel Gonzalez before Toxic Attraction can come in and do any damage. After this, we get a backstage statement from Kyle O'Reilly, and he's icing his shoulder after what Pete Dunne and Rich Holland did to him early in the night. When Vaughn Wagner walks up to him and lets him know that uh, it will be him going and Kyle O'Reilly going against Pete Dunne and Rich Holland next week on NXT. Vaughn then tells Kyle that at this moment, whether Kyle elects it or not, he is the only person back here that has Kyle O'Reilly's back. Now it's time for the main event. An elimination-style fatal four-way match for the NXT Tag Team Championships. It is MSK defending the championships against the teams of Grizzle Young Veterans, Brooks and Briggs, and Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. MSK do win this match and retain their NXT Tag Team Championships. This first happens when Carmelo Hayes and Trick were eliminated first by MSK. Then the Grizzle Young Veterans were eliminated by Brooks and Briggs. And then finally, Briggs and Brooks were eliminated by MSK, and MSK now retain their NXT Tag Team Championships. After the match, however, Brooks and Briggs looked at the NXT Tag Team Championships, and it looked like they were going to attack MSK, but that didn't happen. They happened to show uh, MSK a lot of respect, 
Brooks and Briggs happen to give MSK back their tag team championships, and they just give them a little head nod to let them know you guys did a good job. And then Brooks and Briggs leave out of the ring, and MSK are there celebrating with each other to still be the NXT Tag Team Champions until they get attacked by Imperium, which are Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel. They leave uh, MSK laying on the mat, and then you get Brooks and Briggs running back into the ring to try to stop Imperium, but they were too little, too late. Even Willie Baird on the commentary said he waited 20 seconds later than uh, everything else. So this is probably going to set a rift off later into a fatal four-way, some, not fatal four-way, but a fatal uh, triple threat somewhere down the line with Imperium and Brooks and Briggs and MSK. Somewhere down the line with this triple threat match, it's going to happen. I can't force nothing. I just know that this is going to happen somewhere down the line. And uh, a triple threat match between these guys because Brooks and uh, Briggs happen to show a good quality work environment between the two. They're brawlers and they're brutes, but let's not get twisted. They do uh, know how to get heavy if they got to get heavy. But in their appearances, you don't see that. And it's just going to be a complete different thing whenever MSK happens to go against Imperium and Brooks and Briggs. I have a feeling this one's going to be a good uh Barn burner, barn burner, if they want to do that whenever they do want to do it. But that's beyond the point. NXT does close with MSK and Brooks and Briggs looking at Imperium on the outside on the entrance, just staring at those four guys. And even at one point during that uh, stare down of those four guys staring at the Migos, you had one eye locked in on your uh, musical, not musician, uh, Brooks. Briggs had his eyes looked out on Brooks just to make sure that Brooks wasn't going to attack uh, either will it be one of the members of MSK. But, hey, that's how NXT ends with MSK and Brooks and Briggs looking at Imperium on the entrance ramp. And that's the end of NXT for this week. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite, and this is AEW's second uh, year anniversary show. This is their second year being in business with TNT and actually having Dynamite on their show. So they're celebrating it with their anniversary show. And to start it off, they start off with a huge eight-man tag team match. It is the team of Jurassic Express teaming up with the Impact World Champion Christian Cage and Brian Danielson going against the Super Elite, which consists of the Young Bucks, Adam Cole, and AEW World Champion Kenny Omega. The Super Elite win uh, this match by pinfall. This happens when... All four members of the Super Elite hit a four-way BTE trigger on Jungle Boy. Um, then you get Adam Cole or Kenny Omega, one of the two. I want to say it's, yeah, Adam Cole pinning Jungle Boy to get the win. And it was a great opening match. I mean, you had the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Adam Cole going against the team of Jurassic Express, Christian and Brian Daniels. I mean, there's not much you can really say about this match. I mean, it was a great opening match. I would have saved it for the main event, especially what happens later on in the main event, and I'll break down why I would have done this. But if you go back and watch the show, at least the first uh, match of the show, this match, you'll understand that BTE, well, not BTE, because that's their YouTube show, but the Super Elite are the top heel guys in AEW. They're the legit main focal point. Yeah, you're going to have other storylines in there, but the Elite, since they have Kenny Omega and they basically built AEW from the ground up, 
they're going to be the top guys since for the past year and a, almost two years, literally almost two years. They've been building up other talent since AEW has been uh, birthed. So now they're here and now they're having their uh, roosters come home to uh, roast or roost or whatever that whole uh, saying is. They're the guys now. They're here to still elevate other talent, but they're going to take the win, especially with this being their anniversary show. So again, it was a great opening match. I would have saved it for the main event, especially what happens later on, but I'll break down into that when I get to it. After this, we get CM Punk's in-ring promo, and Punk is asking the fans of Philadelphia, are they tired of seeing him yet? Every time for the past couple weeks, we've seen CM Punk come out and be on the microphone addressing the audience, and he asks the uh, crowd of Philadelphia, are they tired? They say nope, and Punk says okay. Punk then talks about his history in Philadelphia. He was in Philadelphia in 2002, and he was there for three years until he basically got signed with WWE in 2005. Um, Punk mentions that he's happy to be back. He's still enjoying being back in the wrestling community. And then it goes to him talking about business now. Punk then challenges Daniel Garcia to a match on AEW Rampage later this Friday night. So, I mean, it should be a good match. We shall, we, uh, shall see. After this, we get uh, footage of Arnold Anderson at Cody Rhodes' house and... Art Anderson's in the back of Cody's house, and he's there burning one of his suits in a trash can. Cody sees this on his balcony. He asks R, what's he doing? And R tells him, man, you're actually paying attention now. And then Cody runs down, and then he tells Arn that he needs to stop this because that was a good suit. Arn then calls Cody soft. He's telling him that he's been going Hollywood, and that's the reason why Malachi Black was able to do this to him and his family, the Nightmare family. And Arn is basically trying to take the softness and the Hollywoodness off of Cody. Instead of him always being Mr. Hollywood, Mr. Uh, Mr. Perfect, not in the way of Kurt Henning, but in the way of, hey, I have to do what's best for the company. I have to be that company guy. Uh, Arn is trying to strip all that away and trying to get the killer instinct to Cody so he can go and beat up on Malachi Black. I tweeted out that, man, this is a great thing that they're doing right now, but I feel that Arn's going to push Cody to a point that Cody's going to turn heel and that he might even turn on the Nightmare family, the guys that have been uh, putting their bodies on the line to defend him against Malachi Black. He's going to ultimately turn on his family. So I see that's where we're headed with this, but I will still be watching just to see if my uh, theory is proven right or wrong. After this, we now get the TNT Championship uh, title match of Bobby Fish going against the new TNT champion, Sammy Guevara. Sammy retains the championship by pinfall. This happens when Fish was about to roundhouse kick Sammy directly in the skull, but Sammy ducks this, and then he picks up Fish for the GTH and pins him for the win. Uh, it was a solid match. I would have put this at the first opening match of the anniversary show, but that's just me. And I understand why they didn't do this, because after the match, American Top Team and Scorpio Sky starts coming from the crowd, and they start surrounding the ring. And once they enter the ring, they start attacking Sammy Guevara. This happens and continues to happen until Fuego Del Sol comes out and tries to help out his boy, but Fuego gets beat down as well. And American Top Team is starting to really put a beat down on Fuego and Sammy. And I started to wonder, okay, where is the inner circle? And as soon as I said that, Jericho and Jake Hager come down to the ring and they take out 
uh, America Top Team and Scorpio Sky and send them packing out of the ring. Dan Lambert then goes up to the entrance ramp. He grabs a microphone and he ends up challenging the inner circle to a six-man tag team match uh, next week on Rampage, which will be in Miami. And the six-man tag team match will be the men of the year and former UFC heavyweight champion Junior Dos Santos with Dan Lambert and Jorge Masvidal in their corner going against Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, and the TNT champion Sammy Guevara. The only reason why Ethan Page wasn't here on this show was because his wife just gave birth to his son and he wants to enjoy being a new father of a son. So who, who can blame him? And congratulations to Ethan Page for this. Uh, after this, we get a video package of the Acclaim backstage and they're basically challenging the Lucha Brothers to a match on AEW Rampage for the team, uh, not TNT, but the AEW Tag Team Championships. And that does get confirmed later in the night. After this, we go back to the ring, and now we have Tony Schiavone in there with referee Aubrey uh, Edwards, and Aubrey's holding a black bag, but we can tell that is the shape of a championship belt, and Tony Schiavone has been uh, informed by Tony Khan that they will be introducing a new championship when AEW does go over to TBS this uh, upcoming January, and that it will be now known as the TBS Championship, but it'll be the TBS Women's Championship. It'll be fighting, it'll be under the women's division. So the women of AEW will have two championships to compete for. They will be competing for the AEW Women's Championship, and their secondary title for the women will be the AEW TN TBS Women's Championship. And the belt looks exactly like the TNT Championship, but it just has TBS font on it instead of TNT. And it has, uh, instead of it being a red ribbon for the belt for the TNT Championship, like the TNT one has, it's a blue ribbon that says champion on it. Like I said, you get the drift. TBS has the color blue and TNT is the color red. You get the drift. After this, they show a video of JR and Darby Allen having a sit-down interview earlier in the day. JR asks Darby about his face paint and the history behind it. Darby clarifies the story that what MGF told last week about his uncle uh, being drunk and having Darby in the car with him and him crashing, dying, that's a true story. And the reason why Darby wears a face paint is because that day, when that happened, he lost 50% of himself in that accident. He feels dead inside. 50% of him does. He doesn't trust humanity that much. He doesn't trust humans that much. That's the reason why he paints half of his face. And Darby mentions that I know a lot of people question why I didn't attack MGF last week after he said all these mean and uh, vicious things about myself and my uncle. The reason why I didn't do that is because I'm not going to let MGF beat me. I'm not going to let him get into my head. That's not what I'm going to do. MGF isn't going to win this war. So this is basically furthering along the storyline of MGF and Darby Allen somewhere down the line colliding. After this, we get Darby Allen with Sting in his corner going against Nick Camarota with QT Marshall and Aaron Solo in his corner. Darby wins this match. Uh, Darby does, wins this match whenever he hits the coffin drop on the back of Nick. And, I mean, this was nothing to really talk about. You knew Darby was going to win because you haven't seen Nick Camarota on television a lot. So, Darby is a star. So, I mean, this was basically just, in my opinion, a throwaway match. However, after the match, QT Marshall does sneak into the ring and he turns Sting around and hits him with a diamond cutter. And QT thinks he's got the up on Sting, but 
what he doesn't realize is that Sting got up quickly after that diamond cutter, and he took that like a G, like that didn't hurt him at all, and he grabs QT Marshall from the back, and he locks in the Scorpio Death Drop and drops QT Marshall, and you just have Sting celebrating with Darby Allin in the ring. We now go to a backstage promo from the Dark Order, and the main point of the main point of this promo is that they're now all in agreement that there is no leader of the Dark Order now. There will never be a leader, at least for right now, because they will now be taking things on as a family. They will be doing uh, votings for everything that they do from now moving forward. So I can see them doing this, and then probably they'll get into like a deadlock middle, and they'll probably need one more person to break it, and then they will probably enter a new character joining the Dark Order. I still have my hopes on uh, Bray Wyatt probably popping in on AEW from time to time. I have more faith in him showing up on Impact, because Impact allows you to do a whole lot of more uh, spooky and weird type of things than AEW do, but who knows if the money's right for uh, Bray, and he's able to cre- uh, control his creative, at least a, some smidgen, at least give a whole lot of creative input, I will see him going to AEW and probably doing something with the Dark Order, just out of uh, love and admiration for Brody that he had, so that's just my opinion on that, anyway, after this we go back to in-ring, and now we have Dante Martin in the ring, and he cuts a promo, this is the first time we actually get to hear Dante Martin like legitimately speak, he's more of a get out there and wrestle type guy, he talks about being a problem to everybody in the back, and says that he's willing to fight anybody that AEW brings up to him. Because Dante Martin, since his brother's out with injury, has been a highlight of AEW. They've really been putting like a spotlight on Dante Martin. And he really got the spotlight on whenever he teamed up with the Seidel brothers to go against the elite of Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. I mean, a good couple months ago. And this really showed off what Dante Martin could do. Anyway, once... Dante Martin says that he's uh, willing to fight anybody that AEW brings towards him. The lights go out for a good 20 seconds, and then you see a spotlight pop right on Dante Martin, and right behind him is Malachi Black. Dante Martin freezes, and then he feels a presence right behind him. He slowly turns around, and Malachi Black sprays him in the face with black mist, and then he hits him with a spinning roundhouse kick. Dante Martin gets hit. He drops down in Drops down on the mat. The lights go out. Give it another 10 seconds. The lights pop back on. Malachi Black standing in the ring by himself. He goes over to the outside of the ring. And he just grabs a microphone and says that the House of Black accepts. So apparently we're going to get a Malachi Black going against a Dante Martin match uh, somewhere down the line. I want to see that because Malachi Black, again, is a good professional wrestler. And he can also uh, elevate new talent, and Dante Martin is definitely a new talent that I'm not going to say needs elevating, but you can see where they're headed with Dante Martin. They to really establish that he is one of their, he's going to be one of their new guys that they're going to try to really put a spotlight on. Um, after this, we get another in-ring promo, but this time from the FTW champion, Ricky Starks. He puts over the FTW championship since they're in Philadelphia, and that's where ECW was from, and that's where Taz created the FTW championship in ECW. So the Philadelphia fans really got some nostalgia out of that. Uh, Ricky then mentions that uh, he was willing to fight Brian Cage here tonight, but as usual, Brian Cage isn't here. And he said that he would even challenge Cage to a Philadelphia street fight. 
Cage music hits. Cage runs down to the ring, and he fights Starks. Starks is starting to get beat down so much that Powerhouse Hobbs and Hook has to pull Starks out of the ring, and we get informed later that on AEW Rampage, Ricky Starks will be defending the FTW Championship against Brian Cage in a Philadelphia street fight on AEW Rampage. So that will happen on this upcoming episode of AEW Rampage that you will hear from me later on in this uh, program. After this, we get a match of Hukaru Shida going against Serena Deed. And remember, if Shida wins this match, she will be the first female in AEW to win 50 wins. Now, this is almost the exact same thing that... No, this is the exact same thing that they did for Jungle Boy when Jungle Boy had his match with somebody. And Jungle Boy was the first man in AEW to have won 50 matches. And he did that, and he got his award. On this night, that didn't happen. Serena happens to beat Sheeta by submission. And this happens by Serena just going after the right knee of Sheeta this entire match. And Serena uh, eventually locks in Tequila Sunrise. And before she fully locks in the move, she grabs Sheeta's knee and starts bashing it on the mat. And I mean, she just does this viciously. And then when she finally locks it in, she locks it in with a whole lot of... Uh, viciousness and velocity onto it. Sheeta holds out a little bit, but she can't do no more. She happens to tap out. This was a good one-on-one uh, female match. I mean, you got two solid in-ring workers, uh, the caliber of Sheeta and the caliber of Serena Deed. Again, I say it, and I'll constantly say it until I'm blue in the face, give AEW a good couple more years. They will have, and they will take over the women game for North America, and NXT will be falling right in like behind the line of AEW. If they keep on having the women that they do have, like they have Ruby So, Ruby uh, Soho, you have um, Thunder Rosa, you have Nyla Rose, who is big, but she still can do power moves, which you do need. You have Serena D, you have Sheeta, you have Britt Baker, you have Jamie Hayter now on your roster. I mean, you have talented and capable women wrestlers on your roster, and you also are including the new... TBS Championship, which will now be under the Women's Division banner. Yeah, give them another good two years. They'll take over the um, market in North America for women uh, wrestling. Anyway, I'm sorry. After the match, however, Serena D goes outside and grabs the trophy, well, the award that Sheeta would have got if she would have won this match. She goes inside the ring and she hits uh, Sheeta right in the head and breaks the trophy. So Serena D is now a villain. We now go to backstage, and we have uh, Alex Marvez walking up to Darby Allen, and he informs Darby that he will be going against MGF next week on Dynamite because MGF did talk to Tony Khan and asked for it. Tony uh, agrees to give MGF this, and Darby says, all right, cool. Darby starts walking away, and then a uh, limos rolls up towards him. Darby knows who this is, and he starts taking off his jacket. He takes off his uh, tank top, and he's ready for MGF to pop out of the limo. But before any of that happens, a masked man comes behind Darby and hits him with a steel chair. He then grabs the camera from the cameraman, and then you see three other masked men come around and start beating up on Darby. Two of them grab Darby and lawn dart him right into uh, rails in the backstage area. And then you see the big man out of the three grab Darby up on his shoulders and hit an F-10. Then you see a guy in a mask coming out of the limo, dressed up in a suit, 
walking like MJF. And you can kind of tell this is MJF right here. And he takes Darby's skateboard and starts choking him out. And you hear from the commentary table, especially Tony Giovanni, saying that this is the inner, this is not the inner circle, sorry. This is the pinnacle, which is FTR, Sean Spears, Warlow, and MGF. They just got done attacking Darby Allen. They're going to say that they didn't do it, but we all know it was the pinnacle. And later in the broadcast, during the main event, we were informed that Darby Allen was unable to compete next week thanks to this beatdown. So their match between Darby Allen and MGF has been canceled for next week's uh, episode on Dynamite. We then get we then now get a backstage promo from Leo Rush. Leo Rush uh, tells Dante Martin that he's a big fan, and he tells Dante that if he's going to challenge Malachi Black, he's going to need some advice. From somebody like Leo. And Leo is basically here trying to mentor and guide Dante Martin to making big money. So Leo says that he will have his people get in contact with Dante Martin's people and they'll have a chat. We now go to a backstage interview with Dr. Britt Baker and she gets informed about the TNT Women's, uh, not TNT, the TBS Women's Championship. And she's happy that this championship is here because now all the women will be able to get off her back and stop being jealous of her and they can go after another championship instead of hers. Even though Britt does make it crystal clear that she is still the number one woman in AEW and that she is the number one woman because she has the AEW Women's Championship. Now it's time for the main event, which is the Casino Ladder Match. And the winner of this ladder match will get a future AEW World Championship uh, title shot in the future. The participants in this match were Orange Cassidy, Pac, John Moxley, Matt Hardy, Andrade, Lance Archer, and a Joker's Wild. Uh, Joker's Wild. And what that means is it was a mystery opponent. Every two minutes in this match, a new competitor will come out. That's how this thing works. The first person that climbs up the ladder, grabs the poker chip on top, wins the match. And it started out with Pack and Orange Cassidy. Then two minutes later, it was Andrade. Then two minutes after that, it was Matt Hardy. Then two minutes after that, it was Lance Archer. And then two minutes after that, John Moxley. And then the final two minutes, the mystery competitor happens to be Adam Page. The crowd is excited they erupt with cheers for adam page the last time we saw adam page was whenever he got beat down by the elite which was kenny omega and the young bucks and the good brothers and now we see adam page back here and adam page wins this ladder match it came down to page and moxley on the ladder page was able to push moxley off the ladder and page was able to grab the poker chip to win the match and gets a future uh championship match well, AEW World Championship match against the champion, which at right now, it seems to be Kenny Omega. Um, it was a solid ladder match. I mean, you had the spots of, of Paige going up on the ladder after Pac set the uh, table up in the ring, set a, ladder, set a ladder up in a way that he was going to splash onto Adam Page or John Moxley wanted it to. But Paige got on the ladder. He was able to grab... Pac and hit the dead eye off the ladder into the table in the ring. I mean, it was a brutal looking maneuver, a brutal looking spot that they did right there. And you had in the match, you also had uh, Orange Cassidy get put through a table by Matt Hardy after Matt Hardy hit a leg drop on Orange Cassidy through a table. 
You had Andrade get pushed off of a ladder into a bridge of ladders. Well, a ladder that was held up by chairs on the outside of the ring. And once he hit the ladder, you saw a big welt on his back immediately. I mean, they put their bodies on the line a lot when they're in the ring, even without a ladder or even without chairs or anything. But when they add those type of toys and weaponry in it, you can just tell that their bodies are going to be sore for the next couple of days. But in the end, Adam Page does win this match. And let me tell you the reason why I would have put the eight-man tag team match at the end. Specifically for this reason right here, Adam Page winning this ladder match. You would have had the anticipation and the hype of Adam Page. You know what was going to happen if they would have had an eight-man tag team match at the end. You would have had the Elite winning it. Sure, you do the exact same style, but then you would have had Adam Page walk out on the ramp and just stare down Kenny Omega. And I mean, just give him a nice, good stare down to let him know, hey, you're mine. I'm yours. You screwed me out of my last time I was the number one contender. You screwed me. Now, you can't screw me. There's no way you can get out of this. It's destiny. Me and you have to go against each other for that championship. I would have made it that way and had the fans really build up anticipation. They're going to do that next week on AEW Dynamite because that's exactly how AEW works. They pay off their story. But I just would have did that tonight, especially on the anniversary show. But that's just me. And that was your AEW Dynamite Anniversary Show recap. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling starts off with a six-man tag team match, the Bullet Club, which consists of Chris Bay, El Fantasmo, and Hikaleo, going against the team of Finn Juice and Chris Saban. Bullet Club wins this match by pinfall. This happens when Chris Saban has Chris Bay on his uh, across his shoulders, looking to hit the cradle shock. But Hikaleo gets on the ring apron, and he has a steel chair. The referee tries to tell Hikaleo to put the chair down. Hikaleo isn't doing this. When this happens, El Fantasmo gets in the ring and hits Chris Sabin right in the family jewels. And he drops Chris Bay off of his shoulders. Chris Bay is then able to hit the Art of Finesse on Chris Sabin, which is basically a uh, off-the-ropes cutter onto Chris Sabin. Hit him with it, cover him for the win, and that's how Bullet Club wins the match. This was a solid six-man uh, tag team match from all men included. After this, we get a backstage interview with Josh Alexander. He talks about teaming up with Christian Cage in the main event tonight. He mentions how Christian Cage is a tag team legend, but there is an issue here. They have to wrestle each other at Bound for Glory. Josh mentioned how he has studied Christian for many years and knows what to expect from him. On the other hand, Christian doesn't know what to expect from Josh Alexander. So Josh says that Christian will have a front row, front row seat what he will have to deal with at Battle for Glory tonight in the main event. Now we go to an in-ring promo from Heath, who's come back from his injury that he suffered last year. Heath gets the welcome back treatment from the fans, and Heath uh, mentions a welcome back to the fans as well because they haven't been in Impact for a good solid minute, and he hasn't seen them in a good solid minute, so he just says a welcome back to them as well. He mentions how he's been sidelined for a year, how he got injured last year. Uh, he basically, I believe he pulled someone in his groins and that his wife and his kids have been nurturing him uh, back to health. And in this time, Heath mentions how Rhino was there for a month before he got ghosted by Rhino. He tried to text him, tried to call him, even tried to email him, but no response. So 
he then mentions how VBD, Violence by Design, was uh, abusing him and manipulating Rhino all this time while he was out. And Heath just happens to call Rhino out because he just wants to talk to him and just wants to get his friend back. But instead of Rhino coming out, you have Violence by Design coming out. Eric Young, Diener, and Joe uh, Doring. Eric tells Heath that Rhino, that the Rhino that Heath knows is gone, and Eric made Rhino better. And Eric is telling Heath that he needs to understand that Rhino belongs to him. Eric tells Heath that Heath needs to leave the ring or he's going to force Eric's hand. Heath doesn't leave the ring and he accepts Eric's challenge to this and he starts punching uh, Joe Doring in the face and then he goes at the Diener and then he goes right back to Joe and Heath looks like he has everything under control. He's beating up Violence by Design until the big man Joe Doring hits a clothesline on Heath and now you got Diener uh, getting the upper hand on Heath by attacking him on the ground and then he starts choking him. Eric tells both Joe and Diener to hold up Heath, and they do so, and Eric starts punching Heath in the face and in the gut multiple times, and Heath is now dropped to his knees, and now Eric grabs their uh, Violence by Design flagpole, and he breaks it on the back of Heath, and he lays their flag on the laid-out body of Heath Slater, well, Heath Slater in the ring. They call him Heath, but I like to call him Heath Slater. It was a whole lot trying to make sure I didn't call him Heath Slater, but anyway, we go backstage now with a backstage interview with Willie Mack and Rich Swan. Willie Mack talks about his triple threat match that he has with Rohit Raju and El Fantasma next week on Impact to see who's going to advance in this X Division Championship tournament. Ziggy Dice and Manny Lemons then interrupt Willie Mack. They tell him that they hope he has a better chance of winning that match next week than he did when he went against VSK and Brian Myers. Willie looks at Rich and he tells Manny and Ziggy that they know that he won that match, right? Rich then pops in and tells them that they think that they can beat Willie and Rich. Zicky says yes. So Rich then goes and tells Zicky that he's going to talk to Scott Demore and get that match booked for tonight, a tag team match. Zicky and Manny then leave and try to find Brian Myers, and when he does, Brian is with VSK and Sam Beal. Zicky tells Brian about their match that him and Manny are going to have later tonight with Rich and uh, Willie Mack. Brian asks them, do they think they have a chance of beating Rich and Willie? Brian tells them, no, they don't have a chance. Ziggy says, well, yeah, we think that, but with our professional wrestler, the most professional wrestler in our corner, uh, we have a chance. And Brian tells them, no, nah, I'm not going to be out there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be in my bus eating baked chicken with VSK. So that's a no-go for Zicky and Manny and having Brian in their corner for their match later on tonight. Now we get a, a six-woman tag team match. The team of Lady Frost, Kimberly, and Brandy Lauren going against the team of Tasha Steeles, Savannah Evans, and Mercedes Martinez. Tasha Steeles, Savannah Evans, and Mercedes Martinez do win this match by pinfall. This happens when Brandy is on the back of Savannah Evans and she has her locked into a sleeper hold. And then Brandy happens to kick Savannah out of the ring. Mercedes Martinez gets in the ring and hits a butterfly suplex on Brandy and then hits a high knee on Kimberly. Mercedes tries to pin Kimberly, but the referee tells Mercedes that she isn't the legal participant and she has to get out of the ring. 
And Tasha Steele's hat is the legal participant for her team. Gets in the ring, cover Kimberly for the win. And that's how that team wins. However, after the match, Alicia Edwards comes down the ring and attacks both Brandy and Kimberly with a kendo stick. She does this because Brandy and Kimber have been abducting Johnny Swinger's girls and Alicia has been making a strong bond with those girls. So Alicia just basically wants payback. And while doing this, security comes down and picks up Alicia to bring her to the back. And once they do this, now we got a camera of security putting Alicia down and Alicia's telling security not to touch her again or they will get hit with a kendo stick. Security backs away and now walks in Gail Kim. Alicia tells Gail that she wants Kimberly, and Gail obliges to that. She agrees that she will give Alicia Kimberly, but she adds in Jordan Grace and Savetta Evans, so it will be a fatal four-way Monster Balls match at Knockouts Knockdown in honor of Daphne, and Alicia is okay with this. We go to a backstage segment of Tennille Dashwood's uh, show, All About Me, with herself and the rest of the members of the Influence, Madison Rain and Kayla with the K. They talk about their match, their upcoming match at Knockouts uh, Knockdown for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships, and then they introduce their guests, the Knockouts Tag Team Champions, Rosemary and Jessica Havoc. Uh, the main thing about this segment is that the influence is being creeped out by Rosemary and Havoc, and they want them off the show. Rosemary tells them that they are now taking over control of the show, and they are now the new host, and that's when the influence get up and leave. So, the only thing you can basically say is that Rosemary having creeped out uh, to Neil and the rest of her company. After this, we get another backstage promo, but this time it's from Moose and W. Morrissey. They take credit for putting out uh, both Sammy Callahan and Eddie Edwards into the hospital. They then introduce uh, themselves into the Collier Shot Gauntlet. What I mean by that, they enter themselves into the Collier Shot Gauntlet. At Bound for Glory is basically a gauntlet match, and the winner of this match gets a shot at any championship that they basically want in the company. Moose mentions that these two men will take out everybody in that gauntlet match, and then when it comes down to both of them, Moose looks Morrissey in the eye, and he says he's going to kick Morrissey's butt because Morrissey's going to try to do the exact same thing to him. Morrissey looks at Moose in the eye, and he tells him he's right. So now you got the two men, just two most dominant men in Impact right now, just letting people know and putting them on notice that, hey, you guys think you're going to win this? You're not. You're going to get chucked out by myself and Morrissey, and then it's going to be down to me and him. Winner is going to be me and him. It doesn't matter. After this, we get a triple threat match to see who's going to advance in the X Division uh, Championship Tournament. The, mem- the members of this match are Black Taurus, Steve Macklin, and Petey Williams. This was a better match than I expected. I mean, you got... Two big men in there that, if you want to really look at it, they shouldn't be in the X Division, but X Division is not about limits. It's about no limits, meaning that you can do whatever you want in there. You can be an overweight guy. You can be a muscle guy. You can be whatever. As long as you have good, entertaining matches for the X Division Championship, you can be in it. And uh, Steve Macklin does win this match by pinfall to advance to the tournament. This happens when Macklin has Petey across his shoulders, and he's looking for a move to hit, but... Before he could do anything, Black Taurus runs and hits Macklin with a spear. Petey happens to drop off of Macklin's shoulder, and he lands on his feet. Petey sees Taurus laid out. He grabs Taurus and hits him with the Canadian Destroyer. And as Petey Williams was about to pin Taurus, C. Macklin grabs Petey from behind and hits Mayhem for all and covers Petey for the win. Again, 
This is a sleeper match for Impact this week. I'm not going to lie, it was a sleeper. Because I didn't expect this out of them, and it was a great uh, surprise for me. So I would suggest you look at this match. Uh, after this, we get a backstage interview with Christian Cage. Christian responds to what Josh Alexander had to say earlier in the night, and he mentions how he has a lot of respect for Josh. But he tells Josh that Josh will have an up-close, in-person uh, opportunity to scout him. But jo what Josh will not understand is, is that Christian is in a whole other league than Josh, and that once Christian's in the ring with Josh, Josh needs to just watch his temper. As Christian says this, He's about to turn around and leave the interview, but Christopher Daniels is right behind him, and Daniels tells Christian, well, this is the most perfect time to anything to tell you why I'm back in Impact Wrestling. Daniels mentioned that he's back in Impact Wrestling to right the wrongs of his career in Impact. The most important uh, wrong that happened towards him was that he never won the Impact World Championship. So Daniel tells Christian straight up that it doesn't matter what the ring says, whether it be AEW or Impact Wrestling, Whenever Christian wants to have the match, they can have the match anywhere he wants. After this, we get a tag team match now of Ziggy Dice and Manny Lemons going against Rich Juan and Willie Mack. Rich, Matt, Rich and Willie Mack do win the match by pinfall. This happens when Willie Mack has Manny Lemons up in a position for the Razor's Edge. And Rich Juan is now on the top rope. And he jumps off of his Manny with a spinning neckbreaker. I mean, it looks more devastating once you see it. So you got to go to YouTube to watch at least that. I know the YouTube of Impact Wrestling should have that match clip up on their uh, website right now. But anyway, he covers Manny. He gets the win. After the match, however, Brian Myers, VSK, and Sam Bill does come to the ring and attack both Rich uh, and Willie. Brian hits Willie Mack with the roster cut, which is basically a clothesline to the face. And VSK hits Rich Juan with the 1916. That's uh, Finn Balor's uh, move. Well, the name of it. They haven't gave VSK a new name for it. So I just call it the uh, Elevated DDT. Uh, then after this, you have Brian and the rest of his company. Uh, Zicky Dice, Manny Lemons, Sam Beal, and VSK hit their uh, pose. And that's it. Uh, we go to a backstage now. You see Mick, Mickey James walking towards Scott Demore's office, where inside Scott's office, you see Scott reprimanding Deanna Perrazzo for what she did last week. What Deanna did last week, if you didn't pay attention, was Deanna went up to Mickey James' uh, farm and attacked Mickey, and now you see Don just basically reprimanding Deanna Perrazzo. But Mickey James does interrupt this and starts attacking. Deanna Perrazzo, and now you have security and Gail Kim trying to get Mickey off of Deanna Perrazzo, and this makes Scott just basically shout, stop. Scott then announces that enough is enough, and now he's put in place a no-touch rule for the ladies, meaning that if Mickey James lays a finger on Deanna Perrazzo, she will lose her championship opportunity at Bound for Glory against Deanna Perrazzo. Scott then tells Deanna that if she lays a finger on Mickey James, she will be stripped of the knockout championship. Gail Kim then informs the ladies that they will each get a pick-your-poison match for each other, meaning that Deanna Praza will get to pick somebody for Mickey James to wrestle and vice versa, and the first of this type concept will happen at Knockouts Knockdown whenever Mickey James picks the opponent for Deanna Praza to wrestle on that event. Now it's time for the main event of Impact Wrestling, which is a tag team match of Ace Austin and Madman Fulton going against the team of Josh Alexander and the Impact World Champion, Christian Cage. Josh Alexander and Christian win this match by pinfall. This happened when Josh 
has uh, Man Man Fulton up for German suplexes and hits one after another. And on the third one, Fulton is struggling trying to get out of the hole and he ends up backing Josh into his corner. And Ace Austin tags the back of Fulton, which makes Ace Austin the legal man now. And now you get Fulton picking up Josh with a back suplex. And you have Ace Austin hitting an insiguri to add more uh, damage onto this. So you have a back suplex mixed with uh, insiguri that Josh Alexander just took. Fulton then pick up Josh Alexander again for a choke slam position. He has him high up in the air as Ace Austin then goes up to the top rope. Christian sees this and he runs over to Ace Austin and push him off the top turnbuckle. Fulton then pushes Josh down and runs towards Christian Cage. Christian pulls Fulton out of the ring, over the ropes, and to the outside. Once Fulton's on his feet, Christian jumps off the apron and onto Fulton, who catches Christian in air. Fulton then grabs a hat. Fulton now has Christian in his hands and he's about to run him into the steel steps. Christian gets out of it, and he just shoves Fulton into the steel steps, and Fulton hits the steel steps and uh, rolls on top of the steel steps and hits the ground. After this, we get Josh Alexander and Ace Austin in the ring, and you have Josh locking in the ankle lock on Ace Austin. Austin is trying to get out of it. He's kicking uh, Josh in the face. He won't let go, and he tries it again. Still won't let go. Then whenever Ace is actually finally to get out of this uh, ankle lock, he gets to the top rope and tries to hit a famouser off the top rope, but Josh moves out of the way. Josh then grabs Ace Austin from the back, and once this happened, Christian tags himself in without Josh Alexander knowing about this, and Josh was able to hit the Chaos Theory. Once he gets done hitting the Chaos Theory and Ace Austin's back on his feet, Christian gets up into the ring and goes behind Ace Austin and hits the kill switch, and before he does it, he even winks at Josh Alexander, to like say, see, this is what you should learn from a legend. He hits the kill switch on Ace and then covers him for the win. After the match, Christian shakes hands with Josh Alexander. And as he tries to walk away, Josh doesn't let go of the handshake and he pulls him in. Josh tells Christian that he had the match won. And Christian just happens to raise up the Impact World Championship and kind of like pass Josh Alexander right on the shoulder. This is a way of Christian like sunning Josh. I mean, Christian just gives these subtle sunning to Josh Alexander from time to time. And I mean, like, he's trying to prove that, yeah, I'm the elder statesman and you're the younger guy, but you got to remember, I'm still that guy. I'm the world champion. You will take lessons from me. Just learn under my learning tree. (laughs) Ha ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge there. But Josh Alexander is going to have to basically just beat Christian at his own game. He's going to have to be more douchey than a Christian if he's going to have to get in the head of Christian. But anyway, Impact Wrestling ends off with Christian and Josh Alexander just basically having a stare down with one another. And that's how we end Impact Wrestling. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with a contract signing for the triple threat match at Crown Jewel for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Sasha Banks is standing on the commentary table while Becky Lynch has her own table set up at the entrance ramp. And Bianca Belair is the only wrestler in the ring with her own table and the contract literally in the middle of the table. Becky starts throwing out insults to both Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. Then you get Sasha Banks throwing out insults to both Bianca and Becky Lynch. And then Bianca basically says that's enough. She challenged both Becky and Sasha to get in the ring since both of them are cheap shop artists. And uh, she wants them to come at her head up. And Sasha just attacks Bianca from behind while Bianca is distracted by 
Becky on the microphone. So as Sasha is beating down on Bianca Belair, Becky gets in the ring and starts beating on Bianca Belair. She pushes Sasha to the side and just starts beating down on Bianca. Then you get Sasha attacking Becky from behind. And then you get all three women now to start going against one another and just start battling and throwing uh, hands with each other. But in the end, Bianca Belair was able to get both Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch on her shoulders for the KOD. But Sasha was able to get off of the shoulders and she was going to hit Bianca in the chest. But Bianca was able to kick Sasha in her stomach and then use Becky's legs and swing her towards Sasha, hit her in the head. And now you got Sasha laid out on the table. And Bianca Belair just happens to put Becky Lynch through Sasha and the table by hitting her with the KOD. So in the end, Bianca Belair was the last woman standing in this segment. After this, we go to a backstage uh, promo from Rey Mysterio with a sudden Dominic right beside him. Rey Mysterio mentioned that he's so happy to be a part of this King of the Ring tournament, and he even imagines the possibility of becoming King Mysterio. Then you hear Ray's music hits, and he tells Dominic to let's go out to the ring, but Dominic tells Ray that he's going to be standing from the back watching this match, and he won't be out there with him. So Ray leaves out to go to the ring, and he has a worried look on his face, but he knows he has to press on and uh, do this match. And the competitors for this King of the Ring tournament, by the way, are Rey Mysterio, Sami Zayn, Cesaro, Finn Balor, Ricochet, Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and Jinder Mahal. Sami Zayn then walks up to Dominic Mysterio and tells Dominic that it was smart of him not to go out there with his father. And he mentions to Dominic how Ray doesn't treat Dom like a man, but instead treats him like a little boy. And before Sami goes out there to wrestle Rey Mysterio, he tells Dominic that in his eyes, he thinks he's better than his father is. And you can see the glimmer on Dominic's face is like bright, like, wow, you really think that. And this is another way of Sami Zayn just playing mind games with the Mysterio family. But we shall see how far along Sami Zayn gets in this whole uh, crusade of trying to turn Dominic against his father. Now it's time for the King of the Ring uh, quarterfinals match between Rey Mysterio and Sami Zayn. I gotta admit, this was a good match between Sami Zayn and Rey Mysterio. I mean, you had Sami Zayn was able to hang with Rey Mysterio. Not that Sami Zayn couldn't hang, but Rey Mysterio is a older gentleman and he still was able to move around. So I think I should have said that Rey Mysterio was able to hang with Sami Zayn and still pull off all the Lucha Libre moves that he has been doing for mad many years. I would suggest you watch this. I will say this is like a match of the night for SmackDown, definitely. Dominic does come out to the ring and watch this match um, later in the match because whenever Sami Zayn throws Ray into like the ring post, Ray Mysterio takes a nasty hit to the ring post, and it may even have me as a viewer just watching. And I was like, by God, if I was Dominic, I would go out down there and check on my father, and that's exactly what happened. In the end, Sami Zayn does end up winning the match and advancing in the tournament by pinfall. This happens when Sami takes off the top turnbuckle um, pad that's there and he throws it to the outside of the ring. Dominic, who's on the outside of the ring, grabs the top turnbuckle pad and goes to that turnbuckle and try to put the pad right back on. And you get Sami Zayn yelling at Dominic and you get the referee telling Dominic to get down off the apron. This distraction allows Rey Mysterio to get to the top rope and jump off of it and land on Sami Zayn. And Ray then looks at his son Dominic and tells him to get down. And then Dominic's trying to explain to his father that he was just trying to put the turnbuckle pad back on. But this allows Sami Zayn to push Ray into Dominic. And then Sami rolls up Ray Mysterio for the win. And Sami Zayn advances to the semifinals of the tournament. 
Uh, after this, they play a short video introducing the members of Hit Row. If you haven't been watching NXT, it is Ashanti the Adonis, Top Dollar, B-Fab, and their leader, Isaiah Swerve Scott. And at the end of the video, they say that they will be debuting soon on SmackDown. More or less probably two weeks after uh, this whole thing. Because again, the day after Crown Jewel, October 22nd, that'll be the day that the draft, all of it takes precedent. And that means all the draft picks will be officially on their intended brands that they got drafted to. After this, we go to a backstage interview with Seth Rollins. Seth gets asked, does he think he crossed the line for invading his Edge house last week? Seth starts giving readings for why he did what he did. He talks about how he beat Edge at Madison Square Garden, and he did it in a sanctioned match with a sanctioned maneuver, and how people have called Edge, not Edge, but Seth Rollins a monster ever since that. Seth talks about people playing double standards, and I thought Seth was going to play into the fact that Edge did this years ago whenever him and his girlfriend at the time, Leah, invaded John Cena's fa father's house and even slapped John Cena's father across the face. This was in 2006 era. But Seth didn't go that far. He just said, I like how people try to play double standards. And Seth talks about how he even called out Edge, and Edge didn't even answer his challenge. And still to this day, Edge still hasn't answered his challenge to see if he's willing to wrestle or even fight Seth Rollins. Seth then says that, you know what? You're not the person here that I need to be speaking with. I need to speak to somebody that actually has power that can make this happen. So he leaves the interview, and he decides to go try to find Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville. Now we're about to have a match in the Queen uh, Crown Tournament. They should have just said Queen of the Ring, because the Queen Crown sounds so stupid. It sounds way better. It sounds not that great. Queen of the Ring just sounds way better. You get the drift. But anyway, the participants in this tournament are Carmella, Liv Morgan, Selena Vega, Tony Storm, Natalia, Dewdrop, Shayna Baszler, and Dana Brooke. Now, here's a question that I pondered and I asked on Twitter, and I didn't get a response to this. Why do we not have Charlotte Flair in the Queen Crown Tournament? It's in the name Queen. The only person that has been referencing herself as Queen for so long has been Charlotte Flair. And I understand this tournament is supposed to get a woman that's not on the highest of high caliber into that upper echelon you could have put charlotte in this so she could be in the finals and then she lose to a lower ranked person and then that would really escalate and really bring up that person's stock but hey if they do it for another year like next year i just gave you a free and i mean a free tip of how to actually do that anyway it's time for the queen of the queen t crown tournament quarterfinals a whole mouthful and it's between tony storm and selena vega selena advances in the tournament by pinfall this happens when tony has selena in a gory bomb uh position but selena was able to counter that and hit a code red and get the win i mean this was a match that was straight and it was solid but i mean like it wasn't an nxt match so nxt women's match so, i mean it was still good for what it was after this we get the in-ring promo from the bloodline with Paul Heyman by their side. Roman tells the audience how Paul had one job to do this week, and that was to make sure that the Usos would get drafted to SmackDown. And Roman mentions how Paul completed that, and he tells the crowd to acknowledge Paul Heyman. Roman then goes over to Paul and tells him that, you know I love you. You know my family loves you. You know you're part of our family. 
you're the wise men to this family. And then Roman goes to tell Paul that I want you to be wise at this moment and tell me the truth and admit you're the reason why Brock is a free agent. Paul then starts to look nervous and Paul grabs the mic from Roman and Paul tells Roman straight up, no matter what I say, Roman's going to think that I'm lying anyway. You're going to think that I'm lying to you and all this and all that. And Paul is trying to weasel his way out of even answering that. And Roman just stops Paul at that moment. He raises Paul's head up from the mat because as Paul was saying this, his eyes were looking down on the mat. Roman just looks at Paul, brings his face up to him, and looks at him dead in his eye. So Paul can say all this crap, all this type of weasel stuff to Roman, and Roman can see if he's lying or not. Paul mentions straight up how it would be dumb of him to admit to Roman that he has been working with Brock all this time to only now unveil his master plan. Why not just wait until after Crown Jewel for me to unveil what I've been doing? It's stupid of me if I were to be working with him and we unveil our master plan now. And no, it wouldn't make sense. Wouldn't you think the smarter businesses would me be to be working with Brock, me literally, tell him all our secret training programs, our secret training training um, sessions to get you ready against Brock at Crown Jewel? Wouldn't you think that'd be a better move? See, you have me here because I'm the wise man, and I know you don't have dumb people around you, so it would be wrong of me to think that you hired a dumb person to be around you. Paul then finishes by saying that I am the wise man to the tribal chief, the universal champion, Roman, and before you say reigns, Roman has his hand out for Paul to give him back the mic. Paul sees this, he gives Roman back the mic, and Roman says this, verbatim to Paul Heyman. I don't want you to tell me. I want you to look into that camera and I want you to tell Brock. Roman then hands the microphone to Paul Heyman and Paul, like the gracious man that he is, he does exactly what his tribal chief asks of him and he looks directly to the camera and he proceeds to say, Brock, <laughs> I have to give you a, a ton of credit. You, you, you outsmarted the wise man on this one. Brock Lesnar has met his match, and his match's name is Roman Reigns. And you will learn at Crown Jewel one thing, the winner and still reigning, defending, undisputed, uncontroverted WWE Universal heavyweight champion, the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. And that's not just a prediction, Brock Lesnar. That is a spoiler, and you can believe that. After this, Paul then drops to his knees and gives Roman the Universal Championship. Roman takes the championship and hoists it over his head, and Roman just poses with it. As you see, Paul on his knees with his hands up in a prayer, and he's just giving his thanks to his tribal chief, Roman Reigns. After this, we see Seth Rollins walk into Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville's office and ask him, is Edge going to be here tonight? Edge is supposed to be here, Adam says, but since you went to Edge's house last week, I don't know if that plan has changed. 
Seth says that, okay, well, here's the deal. Before tonight's over with, I'll be in the ring waiting for Edge if Edge happens to be coming tonight. And if Edge doesn't show up, it's not going to be good for you guys, okay? I'm not going to be held responsible for what I do. And before Seth even leaves there's off uh, Pierce in DeVille's office, Seth tells them that, oh yeah, if you happen to see Edge before I do, can you give him this? Seth pulls out a for- portrait of Edge and Beth Phoenix, like, on a bridge or something, and this is a photo that Seth took from Edge's house last week, and it just proves on that Seth really is a menace to society, really, if we really going to be honest about it. After this, we get another Queen Crown Tournament Quarter final match, and it's between Carmella and Liv Morgan. Long story short, Carmella beats Liv Morgan by pinfall and advances into the tournament. She does this by hitting a super kick on Liv and covering her up for the win. Carmella is still wearing that this uh, bedazzled face mask that's real easy to tear off her face if you really want to tear it. It's not one of those plastic ones that NBA players wore or even like the one that Sheamus has on his face. Nope, it was a real paper thin, like bedazzled out version of a face mask. But anyway... Carmella wins, she advances, so next week she will go against Selena Vega in the semifinals of the Queen Crown Tournament. Um, after this, we get a backstage interview with Mace. Mace is asked about how does it feel to be competing as a singles competitor since his partner T-Bar didn't get drafted along with him. Mace mentioned that he doesn't see competition backstage. He just sees victims, and they will be annihilated. And that's what he says, and then he walks away. Now we go back to in-ring, and now we have a Happy Talk segment with Happy Corbin and his sidekick, Madcap Moss. But before Corbin can like really get into it, because he was telling uh, corny jokes, talking about how happy he is, and he had Madcap tell a corny, corny joke. Kevin Owens comes down to the ring, and he just starts beating up on both Madcap and Corbin. He does this because Moss and Corbin both attacked him, last week and then the week before that and Kevin Owens is just basically trying to get out uh some revenge on both of these men. He was able to handle both of them by himself for a good solid minute or two until the numbers got too much and he got dropped and handled by both Corbin and Moss. Moss was able to hit a neck breaker on him and then lay Kevin Owens out in the ring and then you had Corbin and Moss leave the ring and that was the end of that. Then we go backstage again, and then we have Naomi now busting into the office of Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville. Naomi asks Sonya why wasn't she in the Queen Crown Tournament, and Sonya says that Naomi, to be honest, wasn't worth it, and she's not worthy to be part of that tournament. Naomi then mentions to Sonya that she is a former two-time SmackDown Women's Champion, and Naomi then says, screw this. She tells Adam that she wants to get traded to Raw because she doesn't want to be here on SmackDown, and the, even though... Adam Pierce and Selena Deville both run SmackDown Raw, so she technically, if she would have went there, it wouldn't have been any different. Sonya says that that isn't going to happen because she isn't done with Naomi here, and she tells Naomi that she will get indeed have her match next week. Naomi says, okay, with who? Sonya looks at Naomi and says, with me. And then you see a smile across Naomi's face, and before she leaves the office, she whips her hair into Sonya Deville's face and says, okay. And then she leaves. After this, we get another King of the Ring quarterfinals match. And it's between Finn Balor and Cesaro. This was a solid match between these two men, even though they fought multiple times before. Um, you can always expect good 
a good match if you have Cesaro in it. And if you have Finn in it, you can also expect a good match. And if you have both of these men at the exact same time, you're expected to have a good, solid match. And that's exactly what it was. Finn Balor does advance in the tournament by pinfall when he hits the shotgun dropkick towards Cesaro and makes Cesaro hit a, uh, the corners. Then he drops to his back and then Finn Balor goes to the top. Turnbuckle and hits the coup de gras off of it and stomps on Cesaro's chest. Pins him, and now Finn Balor has advanced. And next week, he will be going against Sami Zayn in the semifinals on SmackDown. After this, we now get Becky Lynch busting into Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville's office. And Becky complains about being the greatest woman in WWE and having already beaten both Bianca and Sasha Banks and said that they both haven't done anything to get them into a match like of this magnitude and that Becky is always making uh, women superstars and yada, yada, yada. Sonya has to tell Becky that we know you're great. You know you're great. The only thing you have to do is prove to the rest of the world how good you actually are and beat these two women at Crown Jewel. And Becky then decides to sign the contract. And after she gets done signing the contract, she decides to just throw the contract into Adam Pierce's uh, nuts and leaves the office. Now it's time for the final segment of the night. Seth Rollins going down to the ring and calling out Edge. Uh, Seth calls out Edge to come out here and Edge doesn't come out. Seth talks about saying that Edge can pick the, any place that he wants this match to happen and any type of stipulation that he wants, thinking that this will egg Edge to come out. Edge still doesn't come out. Seth then asks, okay, what happened to the ultimate opportunist? Then Seth mentions how, oh yeah, I stomped him out whenever we had our match at Madison Square Garden. And that ever since then, Edge has been a shell of his former self. Edge still doesn't come out and take the bait. So Seth then says, okay, I take this as an omission then. Meaning that I am not Edge-like and I am, I am indeed better than you, Edge. And then Seth decides that he mentions how Edge is basically letting down his family and his fans. He then talks about Edge's kids, his daughters, not being able to look up to their father because his father is a coward. And then as he's saying this, you see a video of a truck pull into the arena and then you see out of that black truck walk out edge and edge is walking with a mission because you can see him have a direct focused look on his face and he's just walking directly towards the ring they play edge's music and edge walks out from the back he walks onto the stage and seth sees him and edge is now walking towards the ring rollins runs out of the ring and goes to grab a chair, he ends up getting a chair, runs into the ring, and now you get Edge and Seth both sliding into the ring now. Seth gets up and he has a chair in hand. He thinks he has enough time to hit Edge before Edge can hit him, but he was wrong. Edge was able to hit a spear on Seth, and now you see Seth holding his gut, and he's rolling out of the ring now. Edge follows him, and Edge rushes Seth Rollins over the commentary table, and now you have Edge fighting Seth around the ring. Um, Seth gets thrown into some steel steps. He gets choked by some commentary uh, cable cores by Edge. And then Edge finally throws Seth back into the ring. Edge then goes over to the timekeeper's uh, position. He grabs a steel chair from over there and breaks off a piece of metal off of that steel chair. Once Edge gets in the ring, he tries to lock in the crossface with the metal piece on Seth, but Seth was able to get out of it because Seth elbows Edge in the face and rolls out of the ring. Edge then grabs a mic and he tells Rollins, You 
me, hell in a cell. SmackDown ends with Rollins on the entrance ramp looking petrified after hearing Edge wants a Hell in a Cell match with him. And Rollins has a look of, maybe I probably crossed Edge a little too far. So now Rollins is going to have to deal with this while Edge is looking at Rollins waiting to tear his head off his shoulder. So we're just going to have to see how uh, this actually ends. When's the Hell in a Cell match going to happen? Probably at the next pay-per-view, not Crown Jewel, but the one after that. Or probably be on a special edition of SmackDown. But who knows? We'll have to wait uh, for that. But SmackDown ends with Rollins looking petrified and Edge is looking to tear Rollins' uh, head off the shoulder. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with an excellent match between CM Punk and Daniel Garcia with 2.0 in his corner. 2.0 does get in the match a little bit, but CM Punk was able to take them out. And CM Punk was able to win this match by submission. This happens when Punk hits a pile driver on Daniel Garcia and then locks in the Anaconda Vice on Garcia, which makes Garcia tap out. Again, this was an excellent match. Personally, if I'm going to be honest, I will say this is my match of the night, even though we have a tag team championship match later on to happen and a street fight for the FTW championship in the main event. For me personally, this is the match of the night on AEW Rampage. After this, we get a backstage interview with Leah Rush, Dante Martin, and Matt Seidel. Matt Seidel questions Leah Rush's uh, motives. He calls him a uh, junk bonds salesman because Leah Rush is trying to sell Dante Martin all these dreams and wishes, but Matt just sees it's not going well. Leo says that he and Dante have something real. They actually talk like that. But it seems to him that Matt is the one that has something to prove. So Leo makes Matt a proposal that he can get Matt a match with CM Punk next week on Rampage. Matt tells Leo that if he does this, he will show him that not only is he a bigger investment than money, he transcends money. He makes memories. Then it gets announced literally after this interview that Tony Khan has signed off for the match. And next week, it will be Matt Seidel going against CM Punk. After this, now it's time for our AEW Tag Team Championship match between the Lucha Brothers, who are the champions, going against the challengers, the acclaimed. The Lucha Brothers retain their championships by pinfall. This happens when Max Caster goes to the top, turnbuckle to hit the mic drop, an elbow drop. But Penta sees this, he throws Max off the top turnbuckle, and this sets Phoenix up to hold and uh, Anthony Bowens for Penta to go to the top rope and jump off and hit a drop kick into Bowens's uh butt and Phoenix then tags Penta in and now they hit an assisted Tiger Driver onto Bowens to retain their championship match. This was a straight uh tag team match. I mean, you you don't lose no sight on this match. You can only see where they're headed with <clears throat> the trajectory of the acclaimed. Acclaimed are still a little bit rusty in the ring like that. They got to work a lot, not even a lot. They still got to work a little bit more on their uh, tag team fluid. Uh, fluidity to make sure it becomes crisp like the, all the other rest of the tag teams. Private party are crisp. Lucha Brothers get a little messy from time to time, but more or less they're crisp. The Young Bucks are crisp. Uh, Stu Grayson and Evil Uno are crisp. Allen aimed, not Allen Angels, but um, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, crisp. Butcher and the Blade, crisp. You have crisp tag teams, you just gotta need the clean to just crisp it up and just get it a little bit fine-tuned a little bit more, and I guarantee you, they already got the charisma. The fans love the acclaim, but just their in-ring work as a tag team, just get it a little bit more fine-tuned, and I guarantee you we have a top-notch 
tag team on our hands that will be winning the tag team championships rather sooner than later. After this, we get another match between Jay Cargill with her uh, manager or her business uh, associate, Smart Mark Sterling, going against Sky Blue. Uh, this is basically a squash match. There's no polite way to say it. Jay Cargill wins this match by pinfall. This happens when Jay catches uh, Sky off of the ropes and hits her with Jaded, which is uh, the move that they call the Glam Slam in AEW. And she pins her to stay undefeated. After this match, however, Jade continues to stomp on Sky until Thunder Rosa comes down with a chair to scare away Jade. And Jade runs away. Not runs away. She gets out of the ring and walks up the ramp. So this tells you that Thunder Rosa and Jade are going to have a match somewhere down the line between the two one-on-one. Not a triple threat like they had last week with Nyla Rose in it. No, just a simple one-on-one match. It's coming down there. It's going to come down the line. Uh... Whether it be for in the tournament for the TBS Women's Championship, who knows? But we're going to get a match between those two. And now it's time for the main event. The FTW Championship being defended in a Philadelphia street fight of the champion Ricky Starks going against Brian Cage. Ricky does win the FTW Championship by pinfall. Um, this match was this match was straight. I mean, you know what you're getting when you get in a street fight. You know you're going to have people using trash cans. You know you're going to have people using steel chairs. Sometimes people use chains. This one had people use chains. I mean, and also when you got a group a dynamic, you know that members of that group are going to interfere just like Hook and Hobbs interfere later in the match. Anyway, Ricky does win the match by pinfall to retain the FTW Championship. This happens when Hobbs and Hook come down to the ring and try to attack Cage, but Cage was able to take out both of them. And this allowed Ricky Starks to hit Brian Cage with the FTW Championship and then with a spear. Ricky then pins Cage, but Cage kicks out at a two. Ricky then runs towards Cage, who's next to a corner, and Cage moves out of the way, and Ricky hits uh, the spear, but he hits the chair that is stuck in between the two turnbuckles in that corner that Ricky set up earlier in the match. Ricky then turns around, and he gets hit with a spinning clothesline from Cage. Cage then pins Ricky Starks, and before the referee hits the three, Hobbs comes in and breaks up the pin. Cage then fights uh, Hook, not Hook, Hobbs to a corner. And then Cage gets to the second turnbuckle and starts punching on Hobbs in that corner. And then Hook comes in and uppercuts Cage Rice in the balls. And then you get Ricky Starks grabbing Brian Cage in the Rochambeau position and hits him with it and wins the match. I mean, again, this was a solid... Steel Cage, uh, not Steel Cage, uh, Street Fight. I wish they would have used a little bit more weaponry like Kendo Sticks, because I'm used to seeing Kendo Sticks so much. But I understand that they didn't want to do it because swinging a Kendo Stick, you can accidentally hit somebody in the wrong place, and that can mess them up a little bit. So I understand why, but again, this was a solid uh, Street Fight. I mean, but for me, the match of the night for AEW Rampage was the first match, CM Punk going against Daniel Garcia. And Rampage does ends with Team Taz celebrating on the stage while Brian Cage is watching it with anger in his eyes. And uh, that has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Oh yeah, before I do leave off this thing, uh, Bobby Fish did get a contract with AEW, so he is a part of AEW. Again, AEW keeps on uh, building up their roster. I can't wait to see, and I know this sounds crazy, 
and it sounds morally wrong, but just hear me out when I say this, AEW is going to have to make some roster cuts, if not this year, next year. And trust me, when those roster cuts hit, people are going to have a field day because people are going to say, oh my God, this person was underused and blah, blah, blah. That's how wrestling works. We do that a lot when WWE fires somebody because WWE at that time is still, even to this point, still have some high quality talent that we don't see them do a lot of things with. AEW, same thing. You got a whole lot of high quality talent. And certain people, you're not really pushing like that. Certain people, you got them on your elevation and your dark elevation show on your YouTube channels, not on the main shows of Rampage or Dynamite. So whenever somebody is going to get released next year, people are going to start saying, oh my God, this person was underused. But AEW is still constantly building up their roster. So I will be on the lookout for people to get released in the next couple of Months, if not months, at least give it another half of a year, and then you'll hear uh, slowly but quietly that certain body has been released from AEW. And I want to get to one more thing. Tessa Blanchard has been popping up. Well, she didn't really pop up. She's back in professional wrestling in a capacity because Women of Wrestling, it was a wrestling promotion that uh, showed up on television for Access Television, and... Now it's coming back again, and Tessa Blanchard has been shown off as one of the key wrestlers for that uh, show, for that company. Same thing with their champion, The Beast. And and they have a executive producer now that wrestling fans have been clamoring to see if she's going to come back in the wrestling world. And it's AJ Lee, formerly known as AJ Lee, but AJ Mendez of professional wrestling fame, but she's more known as AJ Lee. She's the wife of CM Punk. People have been wondering, is she going to get back in wrestling? And we don't know this and that, blah, blah, blah. But it seems that she's executive producing this uh, wrestling company, this show, if you want to call it. But either way, she's back in some capacity, professional wrestling. Congratulations to her to be in there. And that is it for the wrestling highlights of the week. I just wanted to point out those two little things that I personally found interesting in uh, professional wrestling that wasn't, like, highlighted in any of the wrestling, uh, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, all that good jazz. Now, before I get you guys out of here, let me give you my social media links where you can find me at. On Twitter, you can find me at, at My2Podcast. On Instagram, you can find me at My2CentsPodcastG2. And if you want to email me, because, again, this is still something that I want people to do. I want somebody to email me if you have some type of mental health issue, if you need somebody to talk to, if you think you can't talk to anybody, and you need somebody just to be a sounding wall, or if you want to have a conversation with just a stranger that just that you just need somebody to talk to, I am here. If you feel that nobody is around you that could understand what you're talking about, trust me, you have somebody to talk to, you have me here. My email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com is again it's my two cents pod at yahoo.com it is not t-w-o or t-o-o you actually put the number two in all these social media links again i want people to email me if they're having a bad day if they feel that nobody is going listening to them if they feel that they're alone in this world trust me you're not alone people are here trust me even if you think that nobody's here listening to you believe me people are willing to listen to you at your time of needs my email is always open. Please email me if you feel uh, like transitioning out of this earth. Because trust me, you don't need to transition out of here uh, voluntarily. You only get out of here whenever it's deemed time by either your body 
taking you away or some other uh, nefarious act, but not of your own hands if you get my drift. Um, again, please email me if you feel any type of way. Please. Um, again, this has been my wrestling highlights of the week. Um, you can catch future and past episodes on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. And Sunday, I have a special announcement to make about something that's coming out this week. And um, I would like you to listen to it if you want to. I mean, but if you don't want to miss the announcement, I would suggest you check out uh, my Sunday episode. But if you don't check it out, hey, that's perfectly fine and cool and dandy. You'll hear about it next Saturday. Or if you go to my social media links on uh, this upcoming week, I will give you updates on what it is but anyway this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by g2 i am ben g2 i am him and he is i i love you all this isn't goodbye this is until you hear the sweet sounding voice again and remember i do love you all and i want everybody to have a great saturday and i hope that you do tune in tomorrow to listen to my uh sunday episode and if not hey it's perfectly acceptable and you'll hear from me again on saturday for another wrestling highlights of the week and again remember i do love you all and this isn't goodbye this is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again and kanye can you please take them home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus wept.